Hello, everybody. Welcome to Ask Dr. Jessica, the podcast where my goal is to provide quality medical information with the hopes to help you worry less. I'm your host, Dr. Jessica Hockman. Today, you will hear a conversation about monkeypox, the illness that has recently been declared a public health emergency. So today, August 8th, 2022, I was lucky enough to have a conversation with an incredible infectious disease doctor, Phil Zakowski. Dr. Zakowski has won numerous teaching awards, and he is an associate professor of infectious disease at UCLA. I feel incredibly grateful to have him on the podcast today. Thank you so much for joining today. I'm really excited to talk to you. My pleasure. So I wanted to talk to you about monkeypox. You're an infectious disease expert. Um, you've seen a lot of different illnesses over the years. Can you explain what is monkeypox exactly? What is all the fuss about? Is it something that we should be worrying about? What is monkeypox? So monkeypox is actually a misnomer. It was called monkeypox because in 1958, there was a group of research monkeys that developed this, and they named it monkeypox, but it actually comes from rodents that the monkeys were exposed to. Um, it's been around for a while. It's around in both West Africa and, and the uh, uh, Congo part of Africa, and it's been infecting patients and, and people for decades. Uh, the difference being now is uh, that it has spread outside of Africa, and there are many more cases. We don't know whether the, it's behaving differently or it's just the rate of spread is higher. Interesting. So, so it has existed for many years, and has it been an issue in Africa? Yes, and it has been an issue in Africa, and uh, as is often the case, uh, diseases in Africa tend to get a little less uh, media play than diseases in Europe and North America. In fact, there was an outbreak in 2003 in the United States um, driven by imported rodents that were in, and prairie dogs, but they were uh, rapidly able to put an end to that small 2003 outbreak here. And there were only a few people who were infected. Interesting. So it just naturally ended, or was there a vaccine that helped? How, how do we know that it... They didn't use a vaccine resolved. at the time. They did what public health is really good at, which is contact tracing, decide who was exposed, isolation, to make sure it didn't spread to other people, and then quarantine of the animals that were infected. Okay. And what does monkeypox look like exactly? What should people be aware of in terms of symptoms? So as far as symptoms, the typical scenario is for a couple of days, you can have like a flu-like syndrome of fevers and aches and sore throats and swollen glands, but it's either rapidly followed by uh, skin lesions or the skin lesions start at the time of the other symptoms. And it can be small pimples and then bigger blisters uh, throughout the body. And one of the unique things about it is it can be quite painful. So you can see it in the hands or the feet or any part of the body, um, particularly in the genital area, if it was acquired via skin-to-skin -skin contact that way. Okay, so it sounds like the most upsetting symptom for patients is the pain? The most upsetting uh, symptom is the pain because that uh, certainly gets the most attention from the patient, uh, but also the lesions, uh, which can be numerous and... Um, uh, aesthetically uh, problematic, um, also uh, a bother for people because they don't want to be disfigured. Sure, that makes sense. And do the lesions heal nicely as far as you know, or can they leave scars? 
Well, they heal over time, and you're infectious as long as you have the blisters, and uh, ultimately they do heal, but as with any uh, pox virus, they can leave scars. In fact, uh, monkeypox is in the orthopox virus family, which is the same as smallpox, which fortunately is the first infection eradicated from the face of the earth, and that is known to leave scars too. Interesting. Okay. And because of this relationship to smallpox, we can use the vaccine for smallpox, correct? Correct. And in fact, the vaccine was originally devised for smallpox. Uh, when smallpox was eradicated from the planet about 1975, it exists now in only two labs, in the CDC in Atlanta and in a lab in Moscow. Uh, the United States government decided to protect itself against potential future bioterrorism and devoted a significant amount of funds to developing a smallpox vaccine, which is the one that's currently been used and warehoused and currently available for monkeypox. Uh, so it's actually a smallpox vaccine that also is protective against monkeypox. That's so wonderful. I mean, I know that from what I hear there at this time, not everybody is able to access the vaccine that wants it. Um, and we can talk more about this, but as far as you know, the vaccine does appear to be effective against monkeypox. Do we know if it's effective? The vaccine appears to be quite safe and effective. Um, the data as to how protective it is is more an extrapolation of its impact in smallpox because nobody's actually studied it in monkeypox. Right. But it appears to be very good. It's two doses separated by about four weeks. And the problem right now is supply and quantity, because when the government uh, funded the development and manufacture of monkeypox by a Danish company, um, they weren't prepared for a sudden surge. Uh, so right now they're ramping up production. Uh, so anybody can qualify for it if they're felt to be at high risk. And currently the... Uh, okay epidemic, if you will, spreading mainly in um, uh, the gay community because that's where it appears to have entered the United States. But it's just a virus. It really doesn't care what your sexuality is. Okay. So as far as you know, how was the virus passed? So it appears the primary mode of transmission is skin-to-skin -skin contact. So it does not require any sexual act or any uh, sense that you have to have sex to get it or you're only at risk by having sex. So if I had a lesion on my hand uh, and you and I sat next to one another and I rubbed my hand on your hand, the virus in the blister could be transmitted to you. Okay. Skin-to-skin -skin contact, it can also be uh, if a towel is contaminated with the virus blister and I use a towel and then my wife uses a towel, it could be transmitted that way. Uh, it's also probably also by droplet, uh, which are big uh, drops as opposed to aerosol, which is the way COVID spreads. As far as we know today, aerosol transmission, which is a much more infectious way of transmitting the virus, does not appear to be happening. So in your view, how, how worried should parents be? I mean, a lot of parents that are listening... Um, they're concerned that their kids could be potentially exposed to monkeypox. I think when they hear about, you know, uh, um, touching someone else's towel or if they're sitting next to somebody at daycare. And I wonder how much should parents really be concerned and how much do you think 
um, the media might be driving concern. Because, for example, today I did see a headline that said, you know, daycare exposure occurred. And I just I, I wonder how much uh, parents should be thinking about this. So I saw that same headline, too, and the media is wonderful, but tends to be attracted to uh, cases that are exciting. Um, right now in the United States, there's about 7,500 cases of monkeypox. Okay. And it's primarily limited as we speak now uh, to men who have sex with men in the mid-90 to high 90%. Uh, it will almost certainly spread into... Uh, the heterosexual community, and really everybody is in fact at risk, because I said earlier, it really has nothing to do with one's sexuality, it just has to do with skin-to-skin -skin contact. In fact, if yes. we look back at the beginning of HIV, we initially thought it was mainly a gay disease, and it turned out really not to be, and this will almost certainly uh, is not a gay disease, and in Africa, where it came from, it's not associated with uh, uh, homosexuality. As far as right now, what is the risk to the uh, daycare or children or the like, it's virtually zero. It requires a scenario where when the daycare staff had the lesions, didn't know they had the lesions, were touching and hugging the kids and transmitting it that way. Right now, there's virtually no danger. Uh, it should be on everybody's radar because the world does not need another virus spreading rapidly across the planet. Uh, we've seen enough of that recently with COVID. Um, and hopefully with this virus, we can uh, act uh, cohesively and scientifically and put an end to it by contact tracing, making sure people who have it and are infectious, isolate, don't transmit it, uh, vaccinate people who are at risk or have been exposed and shut this thing down before it becomes a, a, a risk numerically uh, to a large percentage of the population. Absolutely. I, I wholeheartedly agree with everything you just said. So can you explain also what, what contact tracing means exactly? So people that are listening, if they are at risk or they think they might have monkeypox, what they should be doing? So contact tra tracing means that the public health department, if they know I have monkeypox, they will call me up and say, who have I been in touch with? Who lives with me? Who could have been exposed to the virus in the blisters on my body, either within the household or outside of the household or sexually or non-sexually? They can then track that person down and isolate them uh, to make sure that they don't get the infection and or educate them as to what signs and symptoms to look for. And that way you can prevent transmission in a, in a broader circle. Uh, this was tried uh, in the beginning of the COVID pandemic, but obviously the spread was much faster and it was playing catch up. And by the time resources were allocated, it was too late. Hopefully now public health resources will be allocated to put an end to it. And in fact, that is what's behind declaring it a uh, national emergency by both the World Health Organization and the United States government. Uh, it's a, to allow greater resources to be spent, devoted to tracking, supplying vaccine, getting testing done, and trying to uh, corral this in to a manageable number and then hopefully extinguish it. And you mentioned that the vaccine is safe. Can you, can you touch upon that just for everybody listening? 
I have a lot of people that reach out to me concerned about new vaccines or vaccines they're not familiar with and ingredients in vaccines. Can you just reassure or, or explain what you know about uh, the vaccine safety? Well, the vaccine, uh, it's called Genios and it's uh, manufactured in Denmark. And it's a live virus, but it's non-replicating, which means it can't reproduce itself. Uh, there are side effects, and occasionally there can be adverse side effects of any vaccine. But as with all vaccines, we have to weigh the risk of the vaccine against the benefit. And if I were at great risk to get monkeypox, and I've seen several cases already, I would jump at a chance to take the vaccine and not worry about uh, the risk of the vaccine. It's not a new uh, product. It's not mRNA-derived. It's more of an older technology that's been tried and true. Um, and uh, I think people's concerns about vaccines right now are a bit heightened uh, by the concern about MRA being, mRNA being a new technology and by copious amounts of misinformation about the safety of all vaccines. Yes. And I, I, I agree with that, and I, which is unfortunate. Um, but I also I think what's nice about the smallpox vaccine is that it's been around a really long time, as you mentioned. Yes, in fact, I'm old enough to have received the smallpox vaccine when I was a child. And one question I was just asked yesterday by a colleague is if I got the smallpox vaccine, as he did, is he protected from monkeypox? And the answer is no, because the vaccine has long since uh, left the body as far as protectiveness. So people who have had smallpox vaccine, if they're at risk, should also get the new monkeypox slash smallpox vaccine. Okay, that's actually really helpful information because that wasn't, I wasn't aware of that. I, I thought maybe that if you had had the smallpox vaccine that you would still be protected. So that's good, inf that's good to know. Um, okay, so it sounds like there's a lot of, you know, while things are spreading and while there's a lot of uh, uh, media attention on this, understandably so, it does sound like there's some uh, a good news that, that we've got uh, resources being devoted now, that they're trying to ramp up vaccine production, that we have a vaccine that works. So hopefully, as you said, we'll be able to squash this before it becomes really a, a big issue. I think you're absolutely right. There is good news. I mean, the last thing the world needs is another uh, virus spreading around. But we know what it looks like. We know how it acts. And in fact, we were deficient in knowledge in the beginning of the COVID uh, pandemic as far as how transmissible, how infectious it was. We do understand this virus. So we're yes. better apt to put, shut it down and to uh, isolate people and to do contact tracing. There is a vaccine that can be used to prevent people from getting it who are at high risk and or somebody who was exposed. And lastly, there is an antivirus drug uh, yes. called Tecovirumab or TPOX, which right now is um, not fully FDA approved, but you can obtain it. Uh, through the local health department and the CDC, and I just used it on a patient last Friday, and he was uh, dramatically better within 36 to 48 hours. Hopefully That's soon it'll news. be released more widely. But, you know, the good news is we know how this disease behaves. We know how it's spread. We know what its manifestations are. We know how to track people down, uh, make sure it's not spread elsewhere. There's a good vaccine and what appears to be a very good uh, antivirus medication, which once again was developed for smallpox, not for monkeypox, but they're closely enough related that it appears to be uh, useful for both. 
That's great news, actually. And, and question about the vaccine, you may not know the answer, but how much um, efficacy happens after one shot? Uh, do you get some significant protection from one, or do you really need both to be You really protected? need uh, the, the best protection is two weeks after the second shot. Okay. Uh, after one shot, I couldn't tell you what the protection is. And in fact, what the government is now looking at is splitting the dose uh, into smaller doses so they can give what they presently have to a greater number of people for greater good. But they're trying to decide, is that still going to be protective enough? Okay, so it sounds like from the time you get your first dose, it takes six weeks to be fully protected. Correct. Okay. And then the medication, question about the medication is there a timeline when it's best to be taken? You know, I know a lot of antivirals, they work best when you take it early in the illness. You're correct. Most medications, antibiotics or antivirus medications work best sooner after exposure. Uh, but for example, the patient I treated last Friday had already had the lesions for a week, but they were growing in number. And so we got the medication for him. The thing that's unknown is who should automatically get the antivirus medication, because if somebody has a mild case, there's no need for it. And in fact, most people do get over it on their own. It's only if it continues to progress and worsen, does it make sense to try and obtain the drug. Okay. And as far as you know, for people that are listening that want to get the vaccine... Right now, it's distributed through the LA County Department of Public Health, and they have a website and uh, to, is to look at that website. In fact, my partner looked at that website this morning and was told as of right now, they have more applicants than they have vaccine, so they can't be dispensing it, but that should be corrected soon. Okay, that's good to hear. I know there are a lot of people that I've heard of that want to get the vaccine that haven't been, you know, haven't qualified, so that's good to hear. Now, a question for you. Um, a lot of people are talking about the debate about whether it's an STI or not, a sexually transmitted infection or not. Why, why is this such a hot topic? Why, um, why is this a question that's coming up in your, in your view? Is it an STI? Is it not an STI? Does it matter? So that's an excellent question. STI would be a sexually transmitted infection or what we used to call sexually transmitted disease, STD. That's sort of the new age name for it. It's really not a sexually transmitted infection. It can be transmitted sexually from the, con from the standpoint of skin-to-skin -skin contact, but it absolutely, absolutely does not require sexual activity. Uh, and I would dissuade people from considering it a sexually transmitted disease uh, because it tends to stigmatize those people who acquire it. And right now, since the preponderance of cases are in the gay community, I think it's a stigma that we don't need. Yes. Uh, it's just a virus. It just spreads skin to skin. If you had the virus on your body and gave somebody a big hug, you could transmit it to them. It does not require intimate contact. Yes. Okay. You know, it reminds me of the chicken pox, actually. Just, um, it's exactly. It's exactly. Lesions. Yeah, the only difference is chicken pox is a lot more infectious and contagious and can be spread airborne, aerosol like COVID is. So this is much less infectious than chicken pox, but can be spread the same way. And, and similarly, they're both not infectious anymore when the lesions scab over, as you mentioned. Correct. So the people who have active monkeypox are supposed to stay away from other people until the lesions scab and fall off, at which time they're no longer infectious. That usually takes about 10 to 14 days and sometimes a little longer. 
Okay. So, and just to clarify, let's say somebody comes to work and they stand next to you and they have monkeypox and didn't realize it. Can you get monkeypox by being next to somebody without touching them? That's a, another interesting question. The uh, CDC has broken uh, exposure into three categories, low risk, intermediate risk, and high risk. Uh, low risk would be just sitting across the table for 15, 20 minutes talking and the lesions were covered. High risk would be skin-to-skin contact. And intermediate risk would be really within six feet for a prolonged period of time. Uh, let's say a, a doctor examining you and talking to you and not recognizing at first it's monkeypox and you're in the room together for half an hour, um, then that would be intermediate risk. Okay. And then question for you, a lot of people are really sensitive right now about viruses and they're asking why, why is there a new virus again? You know, we were told with COVID, this is a once in a century uh, pandemic and now we have a new virus that's coming up. Tell me in your mind, is, is this really that unusual to have another virus that we're talking about so soon after uh, COVID started? No, it's sort of like the thousand year flood in Kentucky. It can happen in less than a thousand years. So the term zoonosis means infections from animals that spread to humans. And in fact, there's any number of examples over time. And HIV is a zoonosis that came from animals in Africa to humans and then spread across the world, as this did. Um, There are many other infections which go from animals to people and then spread people to people. Uh, And it's just really the side effect, if you will, of the human population growing and encroaching upon the animal's habitat so that they can get exposed to it. Ebola virus is another example like that. There's any number of other viruses which right now is staying limited to the animals, but if man uh, manages to encroach on their environment and catch it and spreads it to other people, then we'll see more uh, pandemics. And I would expect that we will see more in the future. The fact it came on the heels of COVID still propagating is more of a historical fluke than anything significant. Okay. And for parents that are concerned about children going to school, can you offer any advice here? Do you think parents should be hesitating about sending their kids back to school in the fall? No, I would not hesitate to send any child or any grandchild back to school um, and engage in studies and contact with other kids and have as normal as social and active and intellectual and academic and play time as they can. As it stands right now, unless it changes in the mode of transmission number of cases, I really would not worry about children or, in my case, grandchildren. Well, I hope, I hope you know, after listening to you, it sounds like um, now I understand more why the WHO declared it uh, an emergency. Hopefully, hopefully putting resources to this will help uh, drive awareness, uh, up production of vaccinations, accessibility of vaccinations, and we'll be able to, to end this sooner rather than later. Yes, I'm quite hopeful. And again, uh, the difference, uh, hopefully, for this virus is that it's been identified early. Resources are being thrown at it. Uh, hopefully it won't be as deeply politicized as, as, as other viruses in the past, and we can all act in unison both in the United States and across the world uh, to put an end 
to this from spreading further and impacting many other people. Thank you so much, Dr. Zakowski. Your, your, your thoughts are so helpful, and I really appreciate you coming on the podcast. My pleasure. Thank you so much for listening to this week's episode of Ask Dr. Jessica. If you are enjoying this podcast, I would be so grateful if you would help spread the word, either by leaving a five-star review or sharing it with a friend.